So uh, those of you that know me probably know that I like to golf. And uh, one of the things I really love about golf is when you're standing on the tee, it doesn't matter what number hole you're on, you've got a new start, right? It doesn't matter whether you just four-putted the last green. It doesn't matter what's happened before. It's It's a whole new hole, a whole new chance to par, maybe even birdie or eagle, right? But the reality is, at the end of the round, there's still this thing called a scorecard, right? And, uh, and, and even though you may, you know, have a new start on every hole, they add up, and that one bad hole can actually ruin your whole round, can't it, right? So which is life more like? Well, I think most of us would say life is kind of like that scorecard, right? That, that there's a scorecard on your life, and, uh, and sometimes you can have a, a lot of good stuff happening, and all of a sudden that one bad thing happens, and it doesn't matter all the good stuff. That bad thing is the thing everybody remembers. It's the thing that affects our lives. Our past can be fatal. At least that's what it feels like. Uh, this is Mike Mursky. I read his story in the newspaper recently. Um, in 2012, Mike had everything going for him. He had a wife and three great kids. Uh, he, was a, he had a great job. He was a, a, a telephone line repairman, making six figures a year. Uh, he was at the top of the world. Everything seemed to be going great. And then a couple of things started happening. First of all, his marriage fell apart. And, uh, and so that, that was difficult. That was frustrating. But, but you know, those things happen sometimes. Um, and, and then, but in the middle of that frustration, one day at work, he got in an argument with his boss. And honestly, they were looking for excuses to get rid of people anyway because there weren't that many phone repair or line repairmen needed anymore. And so they fired him. So now he doesn't have a job. Now he's not making his child support payments. Now he can't find a new job because nobody wants to hire telephone lineman repairman anymore. So he decides that he needs a new trade, a new skill. So he goes to school to become a, a heating and air conditioning guy, right? But in the meantime, he gets further behind on his child support payments. And finally, one day, there's a, a warrant issued for his arrest. He doesn't even know it. First thing he knows of it is there's a knock on the door, and it's a policeman telling him that he's there to arrest him, and he loses it. He, he starts yelling at the cop. They, they get in a, a little pushing match. The cop throws him to the ground, puts cuffs on him, and all of a sudden, he's facing a felony for resisting arrest. Now, it's the first time he had ever been arrested in his life. So the, the judge, you know, let him off without any jail time or anything like that. All he had to do was pay the court costs, but now he's got a felony conviction on his record. He can't find a job. That's why his story was in the paper. It had been like, like three years. And, uh, and, and, you know, minimum wage jobs, that's about it. He's further behind in his child support than ever. You know, it's like that one mistake has ruined his life. And we can all relate, right? Now, maybe you don't have a felony conviction that's made you unemployable. But we all have those things in our past that when we look back at our lives, we regret them. And, uh, and, and maybe, maybe it was something foolish we did that broke a relationship that has never been the same. Or, or maybe it was that freshman year in high school GPA that kept us from getting into the college of our dreams. Or, or, or maybe it was uh, a mistake you made at work that has forever changed the trajectory of your career. Or, or maybe it's something nobody else knows about, but you know about it, and the guilt of it follows you Every day of your life, we all have a past, don't we? We've all made mistakes, and those mistakes have changed our lives. 
And society gets that. I mean, we say things like this, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Or the office version of it. Fool me once, strike one. Fool me twice, strike three. That doesn't make sense to me. But, 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 but basically, think about what that's saying. What it's saying is, I'll trust you until, until you fool me, until you take advantage of me. And then I may forgive you, but I will not forget, and I will never trust you again. That's kind of how life works, right? It's how we think about life. And honestly, God's standard is even higher than that because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said we are supposed to be perfect. So not one single mistake throughout our whole lives. Not one single sin. Be perfect as God is perfect. How many of you have been perfect? Yeah, let me get my arm down quick, right? None of us have. We all have a past. We've all made mistakes in our past. And, and maybe some of us, we've gotten away with some of those. Or maybe some of us, those don't seem as bad as others. But we've all got a past. So the story that we heard today, this story as a part of Jesus' crucifixion that we want to focus on, this idea of these two thieves on the cross next to him is really important for us to think about uh, as we talk about these foolish things that Christians believe. So, so again, set the scene. Jesus is being crucified, and, uh, and he's being crucified basically for blasphemy. At least that's what the religious leaders of the day have asked Pilate uh, to crucify him for. But there are two other criminals ready to be crucified that same day with Jesus. Uh, they were thieves. They had stolen things, and the Romans are crucifying them as an example. You know, the more, the more uh, difficult the punishment, the less chance somebody else is going to make the same mistakes. So the Romans are putting them up on crosses as a public display of what happens to you when you make a mistake, when you commit, in this case, theft. Now, we're told that these criminals, um, both of them were hurling insults at Jesus, at least at the beginning of the crucifixion. Now, Luke's gospel that we read this morning didn't tell us that fact, but if we compare Matthew's version of it, Matthew says this, it says these two robbers are crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and it says, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. So the, the crowd is making fun of Jesus, and then notice what it says. It says, and the robbers, plural, both of them, who were crucified with him, also reviled him in the same way. So the, the two thieves are also making fun of Jesus even while they're being crucified. But, but notice what happened in the reading that we heard this morning. Later on, during that crucifixion, one of those thieves has a change of heart, doesn't he? This, this morning we heard how one of the thieves continued to throw insults at Jesus. You know, if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. But the other thief now breaks in and says to him, you should fear God. We are getting the same punishment he is. We are punished justly getting what we deserve. In other words, he says, I made a mistake and I'm, I'm paying the price for it. He says, but this man has done nothing. And then he looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So here's my question for you. What changed? Because at the beginning of the crucifixion, this guy's insulting Jesus just like the other thief is. But now, all of a sudden, he's defending Jesus. What changed? Well, we don't know exactly. Obviously, maybe someday in heaven we can ask him, right? But, but most theologians point to something Jesus said in between there that changed this guy's attitude, and we believe what it is, is when Jesus is being crucified, look at what Jesus says, 
As the soldiers are driving nails through his hands, he looks at heaven and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. In other words, he says, these guys don't realize what they're doing, so forgive them, Father. And, and again, many theologians believe that that, that word from Jesus, that, that statement from Jesus, that he could forgive even the people that were crucifying him, did something to the heart of that one thief, and all of a sudden he started thinking maybe forgiveness was possible for him as well. And so he turns to Jesus, and he asks him this simple question. He says, Jesus... Remember me. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing to ask, isn't it? Remember me? You're not, not Jesus save me or, or Jesus forgive me. He says, Jesus, remember me. And, and, and we, would, we would have a tendency, the way we think of the word remember, to think that what he wanted was Jesus to get to heaven and go, oh, yeah, there was that guy on the cross next to me. He was a nice guy, you know. That's not what he's talking about. You see, for, for the people in Jesus' day, to remember meant so much more than just to think about something. It literally meant to participate. It's almost like living it again. And so what he's really asking Jesus is not just remember me, think about me. He's really asking Jesus, can I be with you? And obviously Jesus understood that question because that's his answer, right? He looks at the guy and he says to them, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, Jesus says, you are forgiven, you have been saved, you're going to be with me forever. Wow. Forgiveness was possible for this guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And that same forgiveness is possible for you and for me as well. Did you hear the words in that reading in 2 Corinthians that we read earlier? It says, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if we have faith in Jesus, if we have been baptized into his love and grace, if we are believers, if we have faith in Jesus, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone. Our past is gone. The new has come. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus, every morning when you get out of bed in the morning, it's as if your past never happened. The mistakes of your past, those things that, that you were thinking about before when I was talking about how we all have a past, that stuff is gone, the gospel says. That every day is a new start for us in Christ. Now, now, how is that possible? How is it possible that my past is not only not fatal, but it's gone? Well, a few verses later, Paul explains that. He explains how that's possible. He says, for our sake, he, he's talking about God the Father, made him, he's talking about Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect. He didn't have a past to regret. He had never made a mistake. He says, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin become sin. So literally, what happened to Jesus on the cross is he took your past and made it his past. And then it says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And, and you've been given Jesus' perfect life. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. We get to trade in our sinful life, our sinful past, and Jesus gives us his perfect life, his perfect past, and that becomes our past. So folks, the foolish thing that we as Christians believe is that my past is not only not fatal, it's gone. I've been given a new past. I've been given a new life, and that is new for me every single day. 
You know, I get this question from people a lot. It's not uncommon if you're a pastor that someone will come to you about their past, something that they're still struggling with, some guilt that they're still carrying with them. Sometimes it happened 30, 40, 50 years ago when they were kids. And they will come to me and they'll say, can God really forgive me for that? And I'll say, not only does God forgive you, he doesn't even remember it. He has forgotten it. And they look at me like I have a third eye in the middle of my forehead, like I'm really being foolish. And they say, how is that possible? How could God forget? How could he forget what I've done? How could he forget my sins? Well, my answer to them is, well, it's what the Bible says. I love this verse from Isaiah 43. God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Notice that. He uses two different words for sin there, just to make sure we understand. Because a transgression is kind of like trespassing. You know, you've kind of stepped over a line, and, and, and maybe you could do that inadvertently. But the word sin there is the word for rebellion, And literally what he's saying is it doesn't matter what you've done in the past, God says, I'm not even going to remember it anymore. For my own sake, because of what my son Jesus did, I don't even remember your sins. And and that's literally what it says in Hebrews, in two different places. God says, I will remember your sin no more. And in another place, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. God doesn't even remember your sins. I like to picture this. Someday in heaven, I'm going to walk up to Jesus and go, thank you so much. I I can't believe you you forgave me my sins, especially that thing that I did. He's going to go, I don't remember you doing that. I remember your sins no more, God says. But it's not that he doesn't remember us, right? And that's the cool thing. Because one way that that God could remember our sins no more is to just forget about us altogether, right? You've probably even known someone that, that, that had a, a horrible breakup in a relationship with someone and they said, that person is dead to me. I just pretend that they don't exist anymore. So that's one way God could remember our sins no more is he, he could just forget about us. But he doesn't. We, we join that thief on the cross and we say, Jesus, remember me. Look at this verse. This is from Isaiah 49. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? So those of you moms who have brought your kids for baptism today, could you forget your kid? Could you just forget they exist? Of course not. But but God says, even if a mother could forget her kids, he says, I can't forget you. I will not forget you. Uh, How many of you remember the first time you had a crush on someone of the opposite sex? You remember? Yeah, I see a few heads turning and talking. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And for me, it was sixth grade, okay? I was at St. Peter Lutheran School in Schaumburg, Illinois, and there was a girl in my class, oh man, I just fell head over heels in love with her, you know, my first crush. And so I did what a sixth grade boy did, at least uh, back in those days. I wrote her a note, okay? I didn't tweet her or anything like that. You know, we didn't have anything like that. But so I wrote her a note, and this is what it said. It said, I love you. Do you love me? Circle one. And it said yes or no, right? And she was supposed to circle one. I still remember that. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, then, and then here's what I did. I took that note, and I folded it up. And, of course, I didn't give it to her. I didn't have the guts to do that. I gave it to one of my friends to give to one of her friends to give to her. And, uh, and then I waited to get my response, right? So that was in the morning. Uh, morning recess comes, no response. 
Lunchtime comes, no response. Lunch recess comes and goes, no response. The whole afternoon, I'm looking around waiting for a note to get passed to me, nothing. And the longer the day goes on, the, the deeper my heart sinks. And by the end of the school day, my heart is just broken. And, uh, and I still remember this, I, really, I remember it as if it happened yesterday. I, I was sitting at my desk, and we had those old desks with the flip top, you know, that the d- books went in. Anybody remember those, right? And, uh, and so I'm sitting there, and I got the top flipped up, and I'm figuring out what books I need to take home with me for homework. And all of a sudden, I realize someone is standing, like, right there, and I lower the top and look, and it's her. And she's got her fist out like this. I'm like, she's going to hit me. She was like... Four inches taller than me back in sixth grade, right? <laughs> but instead of hitting me, she opened her hand, and she had written on her hand in pen, <laughs> I heart Mark S. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> it was like the greatest moment of my life, you know, at least up to that point, you know? And, and of course, a week later, we hated each other. You know, that was over that fast. But, but for that one moment, she had written on her hand in pen, and by the way, Mark asked because there were three other Marks in the classroom, so she just wanted to make sure there was no confusion that it was me, right? Well, you know what the next verse says after this, after God has just said to his people, I can't forget you? The next verse says this, God says, look, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. You have a God that loves you so much. He he can forget your sins, but he cannot forget you. You are his beloved child. And he loves you so much that he sent his son. And Jesus loved you so much that he willingly gave his life for you so that he could take your past and give you his, and you could be forgiven. Folks, here's the foolish thing that Christians believe. Your past doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've hurt. It doesn't matter what crime you've committed. It doesn't matter what failing that that you fell into, what trap you fell into in your life. Your past doesn't matter, at least not to the one that matters most, to God. Because he's taken care of that past for you. He's given you his love and his grace. There is nothing you could ever do. There's nothing you've done that could make God love you one bit less. And that's foolishness to the world around us. But to those of us that are being saved, it's, it's the power of God's grace and love and forgiveness. Amen.